Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 20th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the fourth episode of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian Season 2, entitled The Siege. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And special guest from Star Wars Insider, StarWars.com, The Fullest Sith Podcast, and a little site called SlashFilm.com, Brian Young. It is my great pleasure to join you all. <laughs> okay, uh, let's before we get into this episode, let's uh, let's talk about some some feedback we got from last week's episode. Um, I always get you know we get emails, we get comments, and st- stuff that we just bring up. This one had um, a lot less feedback than than usual, but um, you know we were all praising. Bryce Dallas Howard last week with last week's episode, her her direction, um, not to take anything away from her and uh, how good that episode was. But we did get a message from someone who wants to remain nameless saying that um, or, or pointing out that uh, Sam Hargrave was the second unit director of that last episode. Uh, he did uh, stunts and second unit on films like Endgame, Deadpool 2, Atomic Bond, and The Accountant. And not, not that we should take any credit away from Bryce Dallas Howard, but also we should know that could, someone could of I, that talent was involved. Could I ask if, if Sam Hargrave is the one who sent you this message? Uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 was, he was not. but <laughs> Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Can, uh, before can oh. I can I like like maybe push back a little bit on this? Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, because like when a movie is bad or good, no one ever goes like, "Well, that director's fine," <laughs> but really, the second unit director, like it's. Sma- I'm not saying the 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 listener. Everything the re- falls on the director. Yes. Like, I'm not saying that this this smacks of sexism, but maybe it does a little bit. Where like mm. if if. Like nobody said that J.J. Abrams, second unit director on Rise of Skywalker, really dropped the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Like, but wasn't wasn't his second unit director a female? Yeah, it was. <laughs> but the point is, is that like, I guess the thing I'm saying is that when no one was praising a woman here in this case, where we're like, oh, she did great, she did great, and then somebody kind of nudges and elbows their way way in and says like, yeah, hey, you know, like. She's great and all, but there was this guy here behind the scenes who propped all that up for her. Sam Hargraves is great. His stunt work is great. But yeah, that narrative, I don't know. It just smacks me the wrong way a little bit. No, I, I definitely see. That's why I was trying to present it in a <laughs> a way. I don't know. I was, I was trying. Yes, I could totally see that narrative. I don't think that's where... The person who submitted this is someone within the film industry that, like, probably works with a lot of people on a... I don't know. I, I took it more of a, a craft thing than a yeah, sexism yeah, no. thing, but... And, and that I stuff could be, was great. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, good point. That That is a good point. You know, when things are great, you know, when Avengers Endgame, like, when people are talking about how great the action is and that, like, you know... Rarely do they point out Sam Hargrave, right? So yeah, it's the Russo brothers. So like you, you have a good point, Brian. So, but yeah, um, okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is that Axe Wolves. Uh, he was one of the Mandalorian from last week's episode. We learned that that was actually a name that was created by George Lucas while visiting set. So that's it, the most George Lucas name. <laughs> Uh, this guy looks tough. Let's name him Axe. <laughs> it is, although like the most George Lucas name would be like Axe uh, Strongman. <laughs> like, you need to yeah. like have like a last name that like tells you more about what they do Axe or something. Chopping stuff. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's the next toy. Yeah, um, with chopping action. <laughs> <laughs> in our uh i do a uh live stream every saturday talking about mandalorian and one of the people in there named zm um had a little like funny bit of uh speculation um they said um sorry uh they said do you think when ahsoka finally meets up with the mandalorian and the child and mando asks her you know, do you know where this, you know, child, like what, what, you know, anything about this child, do you think Ahsoka will comment that it looks like a baby Yoda? Because she knows Yoda, right? Would that, would yeah. that be a funny way to comment on the fandom or no? Do you think they well, won't go there? But like this episode was also written before the fandom knew about baby Yoda. That's true. True. Um, well, you're talking about episode. We're gonna assume she's gonna appear in episode five. But also, I th yeah. I think that everyone was on set though was still referring to him as Baby Yoda, right? Because like, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, because they yeah. they didn't have a species name, or at least mo most people don't know it if they if they do know it yet. So I just think it'd be fu a fun way to, you know, make a joke that kind of canonizes Baby Yoda in a way. Not not that it like changes. The child's named a baby Yoda, but it would just be a funny, like, inside reference. Yeah. Um, and, and having uh, somebody who doesn't know who Yoda is say, like, why do you keep calling it that? <laughs> Who's Yoda? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing I saw on Twitter, Jordan Mason, uh, he 
made a tweet said, what if we eventually get a movie down the road that takes place 300 years after the rise of Skywalker featuring a grown version of the child raising a new generation of Skywalkers telling the stories of his Mandalorian father and how they helped re uh, unite the, the clans. Do you think we're, we're ever going to get an adult baby Yoda? I think it's pretty doubtful. Although it does make, <laughs> make it does make me wonder whether Yoda's entire species um, makes you wonder what makes me makes me wonder if Yoda's entire species speaks backwards the same way that Yoda does. Oh, or you know, because because you have to wonder if it's going to be weird hearing another species because because we've never heard Yaddle talk, um, even though we've we've seen her. But yeah, that's um, that would be it would be interesting to see what a different older you know version of Yoda species would be like um, once it's able to actually talk and isn't like a baby. But yeah. Did we ever hear Yaddle talk in like any of the expanded non-canon now legends books or anything like that? Like, did we ever get any dialogue from Yaddle? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I know she had some stories, but I can't remember if they were told as like someone else was relating them. Um, and and I can't I I will do some digging into that. OK, we'll report back on next episode. Um, okay, let's get into this episode. This is episode four of season two. This is chapter 12 in this series. Um, it's 39 minutes long with that, you know, recap and uh, the intro and the concept art and all that stuff. So it's really like a 30 minute episode or so. Uh, Carl Weathers is the director. He He's directed a lot of like television over the years. Is that right, right, Brian? Yeah, I mean, he got his start. Uh, directing and television, doing a whole bunch of episodes of Silk Stockings, uh, which is an interesting place for him to start. But and he's been around film and the camera, you know, since the 70s. So it's not a surprise he took that jump. But at the Mandalorian conference, uh, press conference that that we were both at, Peter, um, you remember him talking on the stage about how um, him getting offered the part came with the caveat that he wanted to direct too, because that was really the trajectory his career had been in. And he was less interested in acting and more interested in directing. Yeah. And this episode was the result of that. This is easily I, the biggest thing that he's done too. Like looking back at his filmography, like this is crazy bigger than any other thing that he's, he's worked on. Like the, the biggest show. What is the biggest thing before this? Brad? He did an episode of the, the new Hawaii five Oh for CBS. Ah, um, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anything directed by Carl Weathers. I will say after seeing this episode, I am impressed. Um, I mean, there might be something to be said about this machine that is this the Mandalorian. Like, you know, like it seems like they're really in a groove and, uh, you know, it might be I don't want to say easy to succeed in, in this venue. But like, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty impressive. Like he did a pretty good job. Uh, of course, you know, he, he made it fun and interesting and exciting, even though it's another adventure of the week. Uh, it, you know, in terms of the story, it progresses the main mystery of what Moff Gideon's plan is and uh, the hunt for Baby Yoda. And it has some familiar beats kind of echoing the original trilogy in, in ways. Uh, Brad, what did you think of this week's episode? Well, I think it should be noted that the second unit director was. <laughs> no, no, this was this was a solid episode. Um, it was, uh, you know, I we talked last week and I predicted that this would be kind of a, a detour for Mando that he needed to get his ship fixed and uh, would probably end up going on some kind of 
you know, side mission with Kara and Grief, and that's exactly what, what we get here. Um, but the great thing about it is that it's not entirely just, you know, another adventure of the week because we actually learn some cool stuff, which we'll get to later, um, that ties into the overarc of the child and what the Empire wants with it, um, with it and that kind of thing. So the this, this had good action. Um, it, it developed the story in a way that was that was satisfying. And so I'm, it was, uh, it was one of those episodes where even though it was, you know, uh, a pit stop, I think it was a valuable one. Brian, what did you think? Yeah, no, I'm really on board with that. This felt like uh, the, the trip to the gas station on the way, you know, in the middle of the road trip toward the final destination. Um, The episode really had a lot of that classic Star Wars feel. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk more about this because there are homages to, a new hope empire and Jedi all through this episode. And I think that's where Carl Weathers sort of cut his teeth on star Wars in the first place as a fan. Um, So that makes a lot of sense that he would sort of get this episode in that way, but also like it just had this really fun. I I put in my review for slash film that he brought like this big grandpa energy to it. (laughs) Right. Like, and, and it just sort of permeates everything where it's exactly like, I can imagine like watching reruns of MASH with my grandfather, like the, it gave me that feeling right of like that, that sort of generation and their take on star Wars in a way that, that is really interesting. And we haven't got that with any of the other episodes as much, I think. No, that, that, that's definitely fair. Um, okay. Let's jump into this episode and go beat by beat. Uh, it begins with the Razor Crest is having trouble and Baby Yetta is helping rewire the ship, but he doesn't quite understand Mando's instructions and short circuits the power. Is it just me or does this feel like it's very like Baby Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, yeah, I mean, Groot, I, but also I think uh, there's a little bit of an homage to Han and Chewie here too, you know, where Han's easily like, no, that one goes there, this one goes here kind of thing. And it's it's a it's a cute scene watching him try to figure it figure it out and be kind of confused and just I, I simply him just looking back and forth at the wires is just you know such a <laughs> delightful little moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I got I got more of a hot and chewy vibe, but also like when he's actually getting electrocuted, it reminded me a lot of that moment with Jar Jar and Phantom Menace. And there's a surprising amount of Phantom Menace in this episode too. Oh, you're gonna have to point out some of that because I'm not sure I connected the dots there. Um, Okay, so they need to go back to Navarro for a repair. So we're going to pat ourselves on the back here because we all guessed it. He wasn't going to Corvus this episode. We're not going to see Ahsoka this episode. Uh, You know, he got distracted again with another adventure of the week. Um, Mando is drinking some kind of like soup or something without taking off his mask, which seems very difficult to me. I guess he won't even take off his mask in front of the child, although he does open his helmet a little. So I, I guess my question here is, is, is the rule bending beginning to start here? I mean, I, I think we talked before the, about how well, wondering what he did when he had to eat, you know, when he was like in restaurants and things like that. And so it seems like that, at, at least in private, his workaround is lifting the helmet up, you know, slightly to, to slurp that soup or bone broth or what, whatever it was. So, it seems like as long as he's not revealing, you know, any identifying marks that he can lift his helmet up enough that he can like either, you know, sip something or, you know, put a, a fork up, a spoon up to his mouth and, and eat that way. 
I kind of love that there's probably, I'm not sure if there's a writer's room on this. Obviously, Favreau is credited as the screenwriter in most of these episodes. But I kind of feel like that one shot was there because someone asked Favreau, like, how does he eat? Right? Like, so I I love that they put that in there. Um, I think it could be, too, just him showing his increasing comfort with the child. Yeah. Right. Like if you look at other scenes where he's out in public ordering food for the child, he's never taking any himself. He never even goes for the glass Um, in season one on Sorgan. When they bring him food, he lets the child go out and play so he can take his mask off to eat. Um, So this um, I either it's an acknowledgement that like, well, I'm stuck with this kid and and it's my parent, you know, I'm essentially its parent and I have to eat in front of it. Or it is him getting more lax with that, especially after last episode, seeing real Mandalorians doing, um, you know, doing things with their masks off. Maybe maybe that's having an influence on him. Yeah. OK, so we're back on Navarro. We see a bunch of aliens raiding the former Mandalorian lair. And uh, Brian, these aliens look a little familiar. Yeah, so these are Aqualish. These are the same species that Ponda Baba was. Ponda Baba was the denizen of the Star Wars cantina in Mos Eisley in A New Hope. Uh, And he was one of the two people that harassed Luke. And he's the one who got his arm cut off. One of my favorite bits of trivia is that because of all the reshoots from Star Wars, there's shots of Ponda Baba with like flipper hands. But the close up, that <laughs> iconic close up of the arm getting cut off or the the cut off arm, he has very pronounced hairy fingers. And so it it spawned a whole lot of explanations as of to why, uh, you know, walrus men, as they were referred to for a long time, because that was how they sold his toy. Yeah, that was the action figure name, right? Like it was yeah. Walrus Man and there's Hammerhead and all those like, yeah, I love that. Um, and so why he had flippers in some shots, but the the insert shot had the the hands and all of these Aqualish have the big hairy hands. And uh, that's funny to me for whatever reason. <laughs> so they're canonizing the hands, I guess. Instead of Well, I mean, they've been canonized both ways, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so. I mean, because there are very clearly shots of Ponda Baba with the flippers and, you know, the shot of his arm off on the floor has the hands. So maybe they were mittens. Who knows? <laughs> There's also, it's also interesting to note the variation in the appearance of their faces, because I feel like Ponda Baba's face has always looked like he has two shaved testicles hanging off of his face. <laughs> but but if you, there's there's at least one in this gang here where like it almost looks like they appear to be like bigger buck teeth, even though they clearly aren't teeth, but like their shape is a little, it's a little more elongated and flat as opposed to being, you know, round and puffy. Yeah, no, definitely. And we saw a little bit of that evolution in the prequels when they were appearing as senators in, in Phantom Menace and, and attack of the clones. Okay. So they're, they almost kill this creature. It's like a ferret like creature. Is that anything we know, Brian? Uh, not that I could tell. Uh, it, it did remind me sort of thematically of the and I wonder if it'll end up in this way, too. But just the monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where <laughs> where it just started uh, showing up. And when it showed back up at the end of the episode, I'm like, oh, that thing's a spy. Oh, OK. Interesting. Uh, I, OK, that could just be me being a silly, though. <laughs> it does. Ha- it does have red eyes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's always a bad. That's always a big tip off. 
Well, Cardoon arrives and takes uh, them all out because she's a badass and uh, that's her only real defining character in my mind. Um, I, I guess the armor has moved on to another planet or something. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that was a really careful bit of filmmaking, actually, uh, as far as like we'd been talking about over the season, them telling stories with the design and the shots and seeing all of the Mandalorian stuff sort of only ghosts of it there. Um, I felt really implied that they had moved on and that the armor, the armorer wasn't going to just leave all that stuff there, but it could also very easily be taken as the armorer was killed in that final fight where we saw them and whoever was left, you know, sold off all the Beskar they could. But you'd think they would find her body in this, like they would show her body or something. Well, right? it seems like it had been ransacked before they yeah. showed up. It, it looked like they were already, you know, they were, this was their first moments setting up camp. Okay. Well, Cardoon saves this ferret like creature, gives them some food. So we're now supposed to care about her, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I think like there's a lot of like ill will towards uh, the actress that plays Cardoon. Like she's, uh, there's some bit, bit some controversy online recently like in the last year right and yeah she's she's been tweeting some transphobic stuff and she's been also tweeting, an- like, anti-mask. anti-mask yeah and she's been like conspiracies yeah liking tweets from like crazy right-wing pundits on twitter and yeah i and want to say I, I didn't parlor. oh yeah in parlor uh i want to say i didn't like her even in the first season before i knew any of that <laughs> stuff um but I do find it interesting. I, I, I go to a lot of targets and stuff like that. Um, and I always look in the figure aisle and I'm always curious to see like what figures are warming the peg, you know, the peg warmers. And, uh, I think like the, the recent thing that I see at every single store I go to is Cardoon. No one wants the Cardoon figures. And there's usually like six of them. Now. Is it the, but is it the regular Cardoon figure or is it the new credit collection Cardoon figure? Credit collection one. So, yeah. So th- I think that makes sense because they, those, that's new. And so those just hit shelves. So that might be why you're encountering them more. But the fact that, th- that that's left behind more often than the rest of the credit collection is still probably indicative because I have never seen the regular Cardoon figure in stores uh, anywhere. And because I don't know if it's because it was in such short supply or it was it was initially popular from the first season. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah. OK, so we get the chapter titled The Siege. Uh, I don't think we need to really ask what this means. I think it's pretty self-explanatory or Brian, do you have any like it, it does it have any double meanings or anything? Well, I think the siege is very much a loaded term in in so far as the Mandalorian and the siege of Mandalore, um, where, but I, I I didn't really draw any significant connections to the siege of Mandalore. Uh, it really just seems like it's on the surface with yeah. there's a Mandalorian siege and some stuff. So Kara and Grief Karga meet Mando and the child after they land on the planet. We learn that Kara is now a marshal. And Karga offers to fix his ship. Uh, let's hope that he does better than the Mon Calamari from the previous episode. Uh, Navarro looks more like a bustling place. It looks like a good place to be where, like, we sound, we saw, like, last season, like, the the town square and stuff. And it, it looked very different. 
the cantina has been turned into a is it the cantina i think it's the cantina right that's been t- turned into a school i wasn't i it didn't seem to me as the cantina the cantina felt like a different building um and that different building i thought we'd seen sort of with still partially rubble because it had been decimated in the last oh yeah episode of the last season maybe i'm wrong there uh but they're basically have turned have created a school and there's a protocol droid in there teaching a classroom of kids about the hydean way what is the hydean way so the Hydean Way is one of the major hyperspace routes in the Star Wars galaxy. It's been around, sort of like floating around in the canon for a long time. Uh, there were the first mention of it in the new canon came in uh, the Clone Wars, and it's been referenced quite a bit in all of the the books and the the movies or the sh- TV shows. And so it's it's not a surprise to get it when it's uh, when it's uh, you know, a, a giant galactic history lesson. But the Hydean Way is a huge major hyperspace route that connects uh, one side of the galaxy with the other in really safe lanes of travel. Um, there's a lot of other Easter eggs in the Protocol Droids dialogue, too, that were a lot of fun. Yeah, he's like teaching basic, I guess, geography and politics of the galaxy here. Do you, yeah. Do you- do you think it's more like this is just fun Easter eggs or do you think some of this information is being set up to the audience for later? I don't think it's being set up for the audience because her voice, like some of the information that would be the most interesting and useful for the audience for later, her voice is really uh, behind the the scene, as it were. And you almost don't even notice it unless you're watching the subtitles, like her explaining the transfer of power in the galaxy from the old republic's capital of coruscant to uh chandrilla is something that's important but but you can barely barely hear it yeah it it almost seems to me like something that was written in the script like that was going to be more audible and then like when they directed and edited it it became like oh this is this is more of a scene about mando leaving the child in this classroom and uh you know baby yoda trying to convince the kid next to him to give him some of his food. So listening to Matt Wood talk about how he works sometimes and listening to how the voice actors, like the additional voice talent work, I would 100% not be surprised if Carl Weathers direction for the protocol droid was just to look like a teacher and they'd worry about the dialogue later. And then Matt (laughs) Wood, as they were doing all of their nerdy ADR decided what that history lesson would be. Fair enough. Uh, so Baby Yoda uses the force to steal the food from the child next to him. And it looks like the child's just eating macaroons. Macarons? Yeah, they look like, I don't even yeah, know. They look like blue macarons. Yeah, like I didn't know that macarons were in the Star Wars galaxy. They've got space waffles. Why not space macarons? Maybe, maybe they're setting this up for a macaron cart in Galaxy's Edge. One of these days. I, I'm in. <laughs> okay uh mando and by the way uh, this is another time i know i know it's kind of becoming comical at this point where we have like this thing that is like one of the most wanted things in the galaxy and mando just like because you know because the plot makes it hard for him to carry yoda or or the the child everywhere like he just like leaves them with like strangers like wherever he goes to go off and is you know whatever he needs to go do but um whatever we we, we don't need to second guess that in any way um okay so 
the uh, Mando is reunited with the blue alien that he captured and encased in carbonite from chapter one. This is the guy that was played by Horatio Sands. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a physical reaction of fear, which is kind of cool. Also, uh, so I'm curious about this. Maybe Brian can shed some light on it. But they keep calling him Mithril, and I, I think isn't that the name of his race or species? Rather, that's what that's what we've been led to believe. But he's also the first of the species that we've we've been introduced to. So, uh, and since there aren't any like really official source books on on Star Wars or on the Mandalorian so far, it could I, it could really easily be both, or they could all just be horribly racist and just keep referring to him by his species. <laughs> yeah, because or well, because there's a there, I looked this up because there's a line that um that a mithril uh I, I don't know if it's this if it's I remember if it's this, it has to be this character but it says if you've never seen a fledgling mithril evacuate their thorax you're a lucky guy trust me which would seem to imply yeah, no, that it, it is species yeah. yeah but and and who like so knowing the story the guys in the story group like i could very easily see pablo or matt's or even leland like spackling this by like oh they're calling him that because that's what they're they're like their entire species is collectivist and that's what they call themselves and each other and maybe he has some other name that nobody refers to but i mean it's the same thing as grief karga calling din Jaren mando the whole time too so yeah. maybe it's something like that I mean, I mean, theoretically, you could argue that he could be talking about himself in third person. Like, it'd yeah. be like, Brad, you never want to see a Peter Serrata go to the bathroom. <laughs> right? That's, I don't that, know. that's fair. That's, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Who'd have guessed? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you are right. You don't want to see Peter Serrata go to the bathroom. Um, and also, this is another example of a setup from first season of something that we thought would never come back you know this character like i did you do you guys think that like we'd ever see him again not until i saw the toys showing that he was coming back <laughs> uh i i yeah, missed that. and the trailer he was in the trailer yeah. and i was yeah. like oh i guess horatio sands is back which is fine he's funny i think his timing in this is really interesting and i think they gave him one of the nerdiest jokes which works i feel like i don't We'll get to that later, but I, I feel like I don't love the comic relief characters that they're introducing in the series. See, I, uh, primarily the Amy, Amy's character from the first season. Well, actually, Amy and the Mithral. Although I liked IG Eleven, who was kind of comedic in ways, right? I see. I don't know. I, I like this because I feel like if there, if anything, you know, with the exception of characters like you know a Jar Jar Binks or things like that, like. Star Wars has always had mostly serious characters who are clearly either heroes or or villains, you know. And so I think having characters like this, they flesh out like just the the different personalities there are in the universe. I mean, in a, in a place like this, like you're going to have people who are like weasels who are scared of stuff and don't really want to get into danger and are worried more about their land speed than they are about you know helping out the people that he works for and that kind of thing. And so I think having these kinds of People, especially when you're dealing in a place that has so much, you know, organized crime and, and things like that, you it, it helps flesh out the, you know, the, the character roster a little bit. You know, when you explain it that way, Brad, it sounds good. I think maybe for me, it's the execution of it. I don't know. Um, but OK, we'll get into that later. Uh, Mithral. Is that what we're going to call him, Mithral? Yeah. 
I guess. Okay, I mean, that's what everybody else does. Yeah, I uh, just he... really don't want to see him evacuate his thorax. <laughs> well, he he had been doing accounting for Grief Karga for many years, and he made a run for it after stealing a bunch of credits. It's it's insinuated, and now he you know he was captured by Mando and returned to him, and now he's doing a lot to work off his debt. A lot of years, many years um, of debt. And uh, so repairs are going to take a while. It is explained to Mando, which, by the way, should we talk about that? Like, it's told to him that repairs are going to take a while. Like, the, the, the Razor Crest is in, like, really crappy condition. We we have seen it. Like, it's falling apart. It's being held by netting that has been installed by Monte Calamari's. And uh, he's told that the repairs are going to take a while. They go off on this mission. And, uh, you know, by the end of this episode, he's like, the ship's fine. And he leaves on his way. Is, is that I think, okay? I think there's there's two things. One, I think this is the inverse of the gag in season one where the Jawas strip it in about 40 seconds. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is um, Pablo Hidalgo sort of had this saying that he 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 said that you can't actually work out how hyperspace and subspace works in Star Wars because it works at the speed of the story. So you can go as fast or as slow as you need to in order to accommodate the story. And I'm thinking that they were looking at the repairs in the same way, right? Like maybe yeah. that 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 Mimbanese mechanic and that human mechanic just called in like 40 people to come in and get it done as fast as possible so they could just get a quick lunch break. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. And I want to say, like, I know people listening to this probably think I'm so hypercritical of the show. Like, this isn't something that bothers me, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Because no, I felt the same thing. That's why I put that in my review, because it was like I could see people going like, especially after they, they called out that it would take a while. Yeah. OK, so they need Mando's help to take out an old Imperial base that is working on a skeleton crew. Uh, it's, it's on part of this planet. And this is actually the base was the source of all those troopers that we saw at the end of season one. Um if they can take out this base, Navarro could finally be free and possibly become a trade sector. So that's a, sounds very important to me. Uh, the plan is to take out the reactor because that's what you always do in Star Wars. And uh, the Mithral is unwilling to drive out to th- this base. He, he really doesn't want to. Grief keeps luring him in, with, uh, like offering years off his debt. And uh, Mando see something above and jetpacks up and uh you know stormtrooper falls to his death death they enter the base i'm, I'm going kind of fast forward through this uh I, I guess the the takeaway here is it doesn't look like it has a skeleton crew that they were led to believe uh it, it was that grief convincing mando that it had a skeleton crew or did grief not know I think that when they there discover was more it's a lab than his shock is genuine that there's more to it there than that because when he explained the mission he see he also seemed very convinced that it was it was basically they needed to destroy it because otherwise the the smugglers and the black marketeers would just pick it clean and then have a um you know just a a really a, a great field day with all of the stuff they could sell on the black market. And he wanted to cut that out as the magistrate of the system. So the Mithral spots a mint Trexler Marauder 
which could fetch a lot on the black market if the base wasn't going to get vaporized in the next uh, few minutes. Uh, w- what is this? So this is this is uh, an Imperial troop transport, which was the first toy that Kenner produced that wasn't in one of the movies. And they're incredibly rare. And I had the well, chance. they used to be. Yeah, well, they used to be. They manufactured them again for uh, Rebels. Because rebels sort of brought them back, I really feel like a like a. I, I feel like I missed out on an opportunity. I had a chance to get one in its original box at like this estate sale, but I had to choose between that or a Death Star playset. And uh, oh, Death Star. I went with the Death Star, but now I'm like, you know, that transport's looking pretty good these days. Um, they also they also brought it back um, as part of the vintage collection recently from the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. So th- it's getting a lot of play, even though it sort of started as a joke. But those original mint Imperial troop transports, they do go for a pretty penny. And so him making that joke is a joke about the aftermarket of Star Wars collectibles? I think so. I, I, that's how I yeah. took it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I like that. Uh, okay, so Cardoon takes out an Imperial officer, and they make their way to the heat shaft to find the reactor core. Uh, the Mithral is complaining the whole time, which I guess you guys find funny. I find a little bit annoying. Um, so, like, this whole scene, like, kind of seems reminiscent to me of A New Hope. Yeah. With, with like, the... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the design of the thing that he has to go climb out over on, like, it's just standard Imperial, like, terrible user interface, right? Where it's just like, we're going to put you in mortal danger in order to do this really harmful thing to our base. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll put the controls there f- to prevent sabotage. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> exactly like A New Hope. And the Mando actually comes back to this spot later uh, and has the stormtroopers sort of separating him from the from the over the chasm the same way Luke and Leia did, but instead of throwing the rope, he jumps on you know he jumps away on his jetpack. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so the Mithral sets it to blow. Uh, they make a run for it. They discover a tank with some kind of weird body in it. And they realize that this actually isn't a military base, but it is a laboratory. They they hook into a holographic transmission that was sent from Dr. Pershing. This is the doctor from season one uh, who is working for the Herner, uh, the Werner Herzog character. Uh, he is reporting on promising effects for an entire fortnight before the body rejected the blood leading to a castro- catastrophic. Okay, yeah, sorry, I had the, I okay. the strong, uh, a failure. Uh, quote, I highly doubt we'll find a donor with a higher M count. So he's talking about midichlorians here? Yeah. I, I don't think there's any other way to say to, to read that. <laughs> so they're looking for midichlorians. Uh, I think this is interesting because this clarifies a little bit of the end game of Moff Gideon, right? So there had been some theories that the child might be a clone of of Yoda or something because, you know, that Dr. Pershing had like the symbol on his costume about uh, like a cloning symbol. Um, but this seems like to indicate that the clone, uh, the, 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 the end game of them getting the child 
is to use his blood to harness the metachlorians? Uh, yeah, and then inject them into whatever it was in that tube. And then, I mean, I think one of the, the downsides of this episode is that they're not necessarily clear about what they're hinting at because there's so many different things in star Wars. They could be like, is Moff Gideon trying to create a super soldier program is Moff Gideon working on the, the Snoke program. Is this some extension of Palpatine recreating his bodies that produced his kid that produced Ray program? Um, there's, we'll, we'll talk about all that at the end of that. Yeah. Episode. Well, so it's like, it's sure. like, there's just so many different things that we can assume about this. Um, as a possibility that there's just, it raises more questions than it answers. I just think it's interesting that they don't want the child for the child. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't like see him as like an asset in terms of like, maybe we could use him against the new Republic or whatever. Like It, it seems clearly it's just like the midichlorians in his blood. Well, I mean, he is still a baby. And so like, I, f- I feel like they'd be waiting a long time for him to mature enough to the point where they could actually use him like, and convert him to being, you know, an, uh, an asset of the empire. So that's probably the, just their best bet at this point. Well, they could have cloned him, uh, because didn't the clones like have a rapid aging or something? They did. But, um, so at least, I don't know. There, there's a whole lot of stories about what happens <laughs> when you clone Jedi and midi chlorians. And um, Timothy Zahn in his Heir to the Empire books, the entire uh, premise was that Joris Sibioth, which is Tim's pronunciation, I would never have any idea how to pronounce it any other way, but I've asked Tim and that's how he pronounces it. Um <laughs> Jorah Sibioth was a mad, like a, a clone that was driven mad of a Jedi. And uh, he had originally wanted it to be a mad clone of Obi-Wan and George Lucas nixed that. And then when they were working on Attack of the Clones, um, you know, somebody said, well, why don't why don't you just clone Jedi? Like, why wouldn't you just want Jedi? And, you know, Lucas's cryptic answer, you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, was just sort of like, well, it doesn't work like that. Um so maybe they wouldn't be doing that for whatever reasons George Lucas has built around the mythology of cloning and why that might be a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So Dr. Pershing recommends that they stop all experimentation because the volunteer will die if they proceed with the transfusion. I might be reading too much into the wording here, but he does say volunteer like there's a particular volunteer and not like volunteers will die like is there someone special that they might be like intending this for that's what i want to know that's i mean that's part of the that's part of all the information that adds up to like they could be talking about anybody like what if the volunteer is one of those other palpatine clones what if the volunteer is is well it's not gideon but what if it's someone in gideon's purview someone he has there on the ship what if it's one of those soldiers that he has what if it's you know, Tom from accounting. <laughs> Brad, what do you think here? Do you think I'm reading too much into him saying there's a a volunteer and not volunteers? Um, I don't know. That was one thing. That, yeah, that was definitely very mysterious. And I, I, I'm left being just as curious about that, you know, too, because it's it's not clear. And so I yeah, I, I really don't know. I think they're they're leaving that to be mysterious. OK, so. 
They were only able to harvest a small amount of blood from the child, and they would need a bigger sample to continue. Uh, we also learned that the transmission is to Moff Gideon, and it's days old, so our heroes are now learning for the first time that Moff Gideon survives. So, I don't know. Uh, you, in, in your piece, Brian, uh, for SlashFilm.com, you theorized that maybe that Dave Filoni could be uh, maybe doing what he did with re- rehabilitating the image of the prequels in the Clone Wars with with maybe like uh, the least like thing about Rise of Skywalker. It, I think that could definitely be an unintended side effect. I think Dave Filoni, I don't know if Dave Filoni likes Rise of Skywalker or not. Um, I It wouldn't surprise me one way or the other, but I know he really loves the prequels. But one thing about Dave and the way I think his mind works is that with all that training from George Lucas, he's able to like connect dots with things in really interesting ways and add context to stories after the fact that really makes them sing in ways that, that we hadn't noticed or cared about before. And so if this really is leading to Snoke and Palpatine and those plans for rise of Skywalker out in the periphery of the galaxy, um, I, I think that it could have that effect if, if that's really what the goal is here. I will say this. I think it it doesn't really matter what Dave Filoni thinks of Rise of Skywalker because what Dave Filoni what, what matters with Dave Filoni for me is that he loves Star yeah. Wars, and I think uh, trying to elevate weak points in the saga is only beneficial for Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. right? So um, okay, so uh, Mando jetpacks back to the child. Because he's worried about him. Uh, Grief, Dune, and Mithral try to escape the base before it blows up. That, that, um, there's a lot of action. That was here. a great moment from A New Hope that harkens back to Luke going back to try to save his aunt and uncle too, which actually made me worry for the the child for a minute there. Like, if Gideon's alive and he knows, then okay, I'll go get the child. Right? Like, it had that like if they trace the robots here, they may have learned who they sold him to, and that would lead them back home like it it had that same energy to it and i really liked that yeah uh so cardoon gets in the trexler marauder and they use it to escape uh there's this awesome like speed bike chase sequence uh which i think is like one of the best shot like action sequences you know with grief manning the turret guns and the approaching speeder bikes and they're uh you know, they surround the the vehicle, they crush them into the rock wall, kind of, you know, I, I don't want to keep on uh, referencing indie, but it's, it's kind of indie like. And, uh, you know, the last trooper begins to empower a grenade, which ends up being his own undoing. Uh, what did you guys think of, of this whole like speeder bike, bike chase thing? No, it was fun. It was, um, you know, it's uh, it's cool to see this vehicle used in this way. Uh, you know, I I love I love little details like this, too, because like. Um, it, it's cool seeing the the targeting system that we've seen so many times in in X wings and Tie fighters and the Millennium Falcon. You know, it's it's the same technology that's you know spread across, and so the the system inside the ship that he uses from the gunner station is very similar. Where you have to center the ship in the middle before you can get you know the, the shot right on the money to take take out the Tie fighters and whatnot. So, um, it was also kind of amusing seeing it used um on on people when he completely blows apart that that scout trooper. 
Um, but, but yeah, and, and, and like, uh, you know, like you said, it, it is, it has a very Indiana Jones feel to it, especially since it's, you know, set in the middle of these, these big cavernous areas. It's got this, I mean, it, it definitely, again, goes back to a new hope too, right? Like the escape from the death star with the four tie fighters. Um, it's one thing when it's the millennium Falcon and you believe the millennium Falcon can deal with those. But when it's this little troop transport, you're like, ah, eh, they're screwed. Um, and so it, it. It was really interesting when you shrink the escape craft of the heroes, how those same four TIE fighters can appear a lot more menacing. Can I take the second to sidetrack us for like a quick moment? Uh, because I love speeder bikes. I love the scout troopers. And I want Hasbro to create a, a, li- you know, a life-size replica of a Black Series helmet of the scout trooper helmets. Like yesterday, I learned last night that Target's coming out with this helmet for uh, Captain Cardinal. Is that the, the right name of the character? He's from like Black Spire and Phasma. Yeah. I think he's only appeared in the books, right? Uh, yeah, he's only appeared. He appeared in Phasma and Black Spire, uh, the novel. And uh, yeah, um, well, I think part of the reason they keep doing that is that they can just keep repainting the same First Order molts that they already have red. But they've never re- released the first order helmet, so like, oh. I, I mean, I well, guess I it, it goes to your point that that's this is a, probably a predecessor of them. They're probably going to release a white version of it as a stormtrooper. Yeah, no, and this they is, did release that helmet, didn't they? I thought they did. No, there was there was one by Anovos, but I don't think they ever they released a original trilogy stormtrooper helmet, but not a first order for for um. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure for uh, for The Force Awakens, they released Kylo and Poe, which are now sold out and now sell for way more on the aftermarket. Yeah, you're right. They never made a Black Series Stormtrooper helmet. That's very surprising. Yeah. I don't know. It just surprises me. Like, you know, it's cool that a character from the books is getting this treatment, but I, I kind of want, like, I don't know. I kind of smell what's going to happen here, and I smell that, like, you know... In a few months, I'm going to see this on the the clearance end cap of of like in my target, you know, selling for half the price because no kids knew who Captain Cardinal was. And it's like, Hasbro, make me a, a scout trooper helmet like they're now in Mando. They're like playing a big part in Mando season one, and Mando two. Uh, make me a scout. No, trooper it, and it's funny, too. Like scout troopers are so recognizable that like I have no idea how to quantify like how much star wars knowledge my five-year-old has um she doesn't pay that close attention to it as far as i can tell but we were watching this episode this morning and she looked at me as though i this would be the most revelatory like new information i've ever had and she goes you know what those are called those are scout troopers and uh for them to have imprinted <laughs> they're so yeah cool. they are so and i loved i really loved the moment where they're skiing down it felt like a james bond movie like it was so cool, it was very cool. Yeah, so I, I hope one day I, I don't know. I, I I just I want Star Wars stuff to sell, and I just see like this being another like you know, Cara Dune, Peg War- Like I I, I I think that like Hasbro ends up taking the bad like lessons. Or like oh, Star Wars toys aren't selling as much as they used to when like you know the movies were coming out. It's like no, you you created a helmet for a character that no one knows about. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't want to sound like super rude because I know there's fans of those novels, but like, 
you got to admit that a lot less people read the novels than watch the movies or play the video games I do, or know, watch. The I wonder, shows. though, if there's a chance that maybe this was something that was actually intended to be a park exclusive, you know, because it, it does have the Galaxy's Edge sticker on yeah. it. And I wonder if they're just doing what they can to sell it since, you know, one of the two Galaxy's Edge locations isn't open. So maybe this is their way to, like, maybe make some money off of what they have that they're not going to sell at the parks anytime soon. I definitely got that impression that like they were making money hand over fist selling that kind of stuff in the parks. And now that even the one that is open is at at such a diminished capacity that Target doing Galaxy's Edge exclusives was, you know, the licensees needing to still sell that stuff through. I'll say this, that I'm even annoyed I'm taking us on an even further sidetrack. I'm sorry, guys. But I'm even annoyed by Hasbro and the products that they've created for Galaxy's Edge because they created a, you know, an exclusive Captain Cardinal uh, figure, which I get. I get it. It's a, a repaint. Uh, but and then, then the other figure that they created for or there's two other figures. They created a Hondo, which eventually got sold in Target, and they created a Rex. And then they also created a Mountain Trooper. So there's this Captain Cardinal figure and there's a mountain trooper being sold in Galaxy's Edge that no one has ever seen before in Galaxy's Edge. Yet they don't make a Vi Marathi figure. They don't make a Doc Ondar figure. They don't make a Captain or Lieutenant Beck figure. I don't know. I'm just saying. My hope is that we will see that stuff. Don't forget that there's also a Commander Pyre figure, which is another Stormtrooper repaint, the gold one. Um, that also has the Disney, the, the, the Galaxy's Edge uh, sticker slapped on it. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I know we t- uh, it took us way off track here. We'll get back to the episode. So the Tie tra- Fighters are in pursuit. Uh, Grief does his best to take them out as uh, Dune takes evasive maneuvering, and Grief uh, finally takes one of them out and crashes it almost right on top of the ship. Uh, the Razor Crest comes to the rescue, takes the other ties out. Uh, Mando has a child who is now still eating his mac- macarons and he's giggling as Mando is taking them out. Uh, and also, and also, also cool... sticking his hands up like he's on a roller coaster. <laughs> I feel like every episode, like they're just printing money to make new Funko Pops, right? That and also in- infinite memes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the... Okay, so the ch- and then there's also we need the Funko Pop where the child has barfed yeah, on the Yeah, just in blue vomit. <laughs> uh, he does get it all over his robe. Mando wipes it off, but it doesn't seem to come out. He's going to need a watch or something. Uh, is this any indication that the child's going to get a new outfit, which is going to lead to more toy sales? Well, no, and just- we'll also we'll see him get in a bath as well, and so then they'll make him uh, Baby Yoda in a bathtub. <laughs> What were you going to say, Brian? No, I was going to say, like, we'll also get an action figure with the stain on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're, you're right. <laughs> okay, so uh, Mando takes off. Uh, his ship has apparently been fixed in that amount of time. They, like, left. <laughs> they left for, like, half a day. Right? Repairs at the speed of the uh, story, okay. man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul Sun Hung Lee is back as Captain Carson Teva. Uh, one of the dickhead New Republic X-Wing space cops that we saw previously. Yeah, if there was any any doubt and... that they, they weren't just space cops, he's walking around with a little pad of paper and like... Uh, like and being like, referred <laughs> to as officer. Officer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he's asking about the Razorcrest's involvement in the happenings, and Grief denies that it was there and sends them sends him on his way. Uh, what role do we think the New Republic will have in upcoming episodes? You know, I was this was really interesting to me because it, this kind of further cemented the fact that um, maybe the New Republic is kind of not doing a great job with with what they're doing um, as far as like helping some of these places that need it. And maybe it's just because there's this transfer of power between, you know, the empire and the rebel Alliance, you know, taking over and with the new Republic and them trying to clean up the mess of the empire, uh, which, you know, has very strong echoes of the things that are happening right now. But yeah, I think it's interesting to note that like what grief does with Navarro is, you know, he's, he builds this, you know, uh, they have this school and they like, you know, boost up the economy and things like that, making things better. And there's clearly this parallel of like, these places that were left behind after they were, you know, taken over um, and the empire was there and they need infrastructure, you know, you, you need to have those things built. And it's, it's things that, uh, you know, America has infamously not done when they've taken out a, a dictator like Saddam Hussein or something like that and say they're going to help, you know, a certain nation, but then don't stick around long enough to build infrastructure and help them you know, get to a place where they need to be to help their people. And so I, there's a, a comment that grief makes here where he's talking, he's, you know, um, takes a jab saying, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you'll find yourself out here, you know, again, because they, they don't ever come out that way unless something like this happens. And so I thought that was a really interesting um, jab, you know, kind of at the, the new Republic. I got the impression yeah. too, though, like I got two distinct impressions from different sort of genres of film and history. But I think part like to your point, um, Palpatine did have that sort of Nero decree with Operation Cinder, where he was literally just burning down as much as he could at the point where he was presumed dead. So that, yeah, exactly. The New Republic would have to put out so many fires that they could never be as successful as they would have been had there been a peaceful transfer of power, um, which is startlingly relevant. Um, but uh, also, uh, I, I, I really love how we're seeing marshals like with those specific titles in these frontier towns, because it really feels like the old West. Right. When the strong central centralized American government was, you know, completely on the East Coast, you know, we the, we we call things the Wild West, uh, and, you know, for a reason, because it was just it was absurd out there. And there was a different sort of law and a different sort of uh, uh, jurisdiction for what the government was. And I really like that they're taking those cues for the New Republic from that that era of history and of film um, for the New Republic in these far-flung areas. I also like what this is kind of like saying about the larger galaxy. Like we always assume as kids when we watch Return of the Jedi and they win the, uh, you know, the Battle of Yavin, the, I mean, uh, uh, that, um, wait, am, am I mixed up? Wait, what was the battle of Return of the Jedi? Endor. <laughs> I've gotten no sleep, guys. Sorry. <laughs> battle, of, battle of Endor. Yeah, uh, I, I knew when that came out of my mouth, I was like, uh-oh. Uh, when the Battle of Endor happens, that, like, you know, everything is going to be happy in this galaxy. And obviously, we've seen that that's not the case because there's still remnants of the Empire that need to be defeated but also, like, you know, we learned from, you know, the ancillary material of Force Awakens that, you know, uh, General Leia 
like knew about the first order thought that they like you know were gonna this big threat and like the new republic was like not willing to take action and she had to create this whole you know resistance to you know to do something about it so so it's like it, it, it's funny because you always think that there's a good guy that like if they won everything would be peaceful and perfect but it turns out everybody ha- you know every political organization has its own problems right yeah uh, okay, so we see Cara Dune uh, feeding the creature, and that the, the space cop tries to recruit her. Uh, he believes there aren't isolated incidents here, and something more is going on. Uh, she's not interested in in helping him or telling him, uh, and he asks about her Alderaan heritage because he served there, and uh, says. Uh, did you lose anybody? <laughs> what sort of rube does this? Like, hey, I know your planet's destroyed, but did you lose anyone? <laughs> like, yeah. I know. Lo- it's like if he told me, he was like, I worked at the World Trade Center, but I didn't go there on 9-11. And then my next question is like, Brian, did you lose any friends or coworkers? <laughs> like, like, who asked that question? Yeah. No, I, well, Captain uh, Carson Tava. Well, and maybe yeah. that's just um, the tone deaf nature of the police character caricature they've become. Uh, I guess now that like we're we're delving in, like it, it is a kind of like good moment here, but like I still don't want to care about her. I don't know why. Like, is do you guys care? I mean, I. I'm having a hard time separating the character from the from Gina Carano at, the, at this point, and so I'm caring less and less because I just, every time I see her, I just think, "Ugh, this is what we have to deal with." Um, but I, I don't know. It's like she she is a cool character, but she she's mostly just cool, and th- this helps a little bit. Um, what what is the the thing that he leaves behind? Is that like it looks like a badge? It has the the Rebel Alliance symbol on it. What what does it symbolize? So I did some research on it and there wasn't anything. The the uh, the Alliance's Medal of Bravery was the one that we've seen in A New Hope. Uh, so we recognize that the best thing I could come up with is a real world analog is sort of a service medal that says that he served at Alderaan. And so this was one of those things that I was complaining about a little bit about Weathers's direction is that there's a few things that could have hit a lot harder, but they were a little muddy. And knowing what that medal meant could have been one. And I really think it was his service medal for having served at Alderaan that he gives to her as at least a sign of acknowledgement or respect or that he just asked a really insensitive question. See, I I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense, but I feel like that's like also the equivalent of like, you know, a a, a military soldier giving like their purple heart to somebody. They just happened to learn, you know, had a relative who died in World War Two, you know, well, I think. Like, like, yeah. like that, that means a lot to that person. And so why would you give it to a complete stranger just because you asked an insensitive question, you know, about. Well, I wonder if it's an insensitive. Well, I wonder if his thing was just like it was it wasn't that he asked an insensitive question. It was that he feels sorry for her loss. And obviously she's not having a good time. And maybe he's trying to pull her um, make her feel like she's welcome in in a way that her attitude. Well, I, Is there any the chance problem? That it- is I there, wish this was better. Is there any exactly. that, Is there any chance that it's just a bad, just representative of like we, you know, we are the new republic, and like they they've adopted the rebel but alliance symbol, and it so it like, had 
just in case yeah. you want to be a space cop like us. It had a little, it had on the bottom of it, the same way you see on like the sorts of badges that, that honor service in like military dress uniforms, like the little color coding at the bottom. Okay. Um, that that's what it made me think of that service record. The problem is, is that we can debate about all day, all day about what we think it is um, because it wasn't clear. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. My first thought here was knowing John Favreau and he wrote this episode um, that he uh, that I'm not sure if you know this. Uh, if you work with John Favreau or you visit a set of his movie or you interview him, he gets like these challenge coins. He's obsessed with challenge coins and he gives them out to anybody that either works for him or, you know, uh, you know, interviews him or whatever. And he, he makes a new challenge coin for each production that he's working on. And it's something that's meaningful to him. If you talk to him, he has like a whole story on it. And I was wondering if maybe if something like that, because challenge coins, uh, they're huge. Come from like the military, and they're huge in the 501st too, like and the Rebel Legion, um, the fan costuming organizations, and they're a huge part of the the culture uh, of Star Wars fandom, uh, and and in the military. So yeah, it could be it could be as simple as that. Like he's handing her the hey, remember I served at Alderaan challenge coin. Yeah. And it should be said, like, people are probably wondering, like, why is that important or something? But, like, you only get a certain amount of challenge coins when you're, like, you know, in a fire department or you're in this, like, you know, squad of troopers or whatever. And giving one out, like, is a a kind of meaningful thing. Um, That said, I'm not sure that that's what it is. I was also wondering, maybe this is an actual badge that makes her a a real marshal on Navarro. Do you know what I mean? It gives her some kind of real authority. There's too many damn possibilities that are all valid. Yeah. I'm, well, and, and plus I think she, she also does, she has some kind of like indicator that she's a marshal already from, from grief. Doesn't she? Yeah, possibly. I didn't even see that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, an alien informs the Imperial general that a device has been planted as requested. And she says that, he will be well rewarded in this new era. This isn't an alien we've seen. Well, we saw this earlier in the episode. He's one of the two uh, people that grief told to, to take care of the ship. And, uh, Oh, I didn't even notice that. And okay. they're for, uh, this, that makes and this sense. creature, this species is from Mimban, which we saw first on screen in solo, a star Wars story. And, uh, recently in star Wars squadrons, the leader of the squadron of rebel pilots is, uh, a Mimbanese pilot. I the um I found it interesting too because Grief has a line when he tells the mechanics to take care of the ship that is uh it's not quite like verbatim but it's reminiscent of Lando's line telling uh, Han is like my people will you know take care of it essentially and then it's but it's not Grief that has you know betrayed his friends this time it's one of his mechanics who has put a tracking device on his ship. Yeah, we don't think grief is involved. Well, no, there's no way. It wouldn't make any sense at this point. Um, okay, so she f- informs Gideon that a tracking beacon has been installed on the Razorcrest. Gideon is still invested in the asset. He says they, quote, will be ready. Uh, we pull out to reveal an army of these big black, I guess, stormtrooper-like things. They, they, they look bigger they look than... Like beefy- 
they look like pilots. beefy like crosses between death troopers and tie fighter pilots i felt in this moment that i was like some kind of like thing that i should know like that i wasn't getting the reference but i'm after reading online it doesn't seem like anybody clearly knows what what the, like this is just a like oh no there's a big he has a big army of something yeah no that was like well he's he's surely either that or he just really likes shiny tie pilot armor to be displayed properly on his star destroyer um but again again this is one of those little details where it's just it's a little muddy so it doesn't have that impact if they would have shown us and again i'm not interested in i'm not saying that he should have spoon fed us but just given us some view of of what we might be looking at or some context of what that might be. And yeah, we, I was, I was might waiting for like, a, yeah, I was waiting for like a full, like head on shot of like, just so you could clearly see what it is after you see the long line of them. But then the, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> there, there are some websites out there that are saying that these are dark troops. Yeah. They, I, I was actually just going to uh, say, I wonder if this is the, the Lucasfilm's opportunity to bring in dark troopers from the expanded universe. Yeah, they were in the video game Star Wars Dark Forces. They have an action uh, figure, which is now they have non an action figure. They did yeah. okay. Uh, they 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 they're now considered non canon. However, they did appear in the mobile game Star Wars Commander, which is for some reasons canon. So maybe they're canon again. I don't know. Uh, according to Wikipedia, Dark Troopers are a kind of advanced shock trooper droid that the droids were designed under Emperor Palpatine to be the next generation of stormtroopers. The Republic, however, sabotaged manufacturing facilities, forcing Palpatine to shut down production uh, because, uh, yeah. So uh, do you think these are, I mean, that might make sense because it makes sense why all these like armor are like there. If they're, if, if they're droids, it makes sense why they're like all like being charged or in. But I also got, Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead, go right. ahead. No, no, no you, you go ahead. Oh, no, no, okay. <laughs> Um, I also <laughs> kind of got the distinct impression that this was something that was also tied directly to the lab, right? This was something that was tied directly to what it was they were hiding and why he wanted the asset so badly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. That the, And I think that's like, this is maybe like a new breed of a super soldier. And I, I wonder if maybe they're trying to create force sensitive, like a force sensitive army. Yeah, one of my friends messaged me with that and i i didn't i did not get that from this wasn't um am i wrong brian in saying that george lucas originally had an idea of like stormtroopers that had like force powers or am i just so, thinking of ralph mccourt's concept painting with the, that they had a i think that's that's probably what it is those early those early paintings but i mean those early drafts of star wars were all over the place too but i wouldn't if they were going back to the well of Ralph McCory on this. I think those those troopers would have been white, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, what we're gonna have to find out. Uh, and uh, I did see. I think on Inverse, someone pointed out that the lab technician in the scene is wearing a coat with the insignia for the Imperial Department of Military Research, uh, which was first mentioned in the 1989 Star Wars role playing game. So there, there you go. Um, okay, let's get into specu- or, uh Do you have any final thoughts on this episode? I I think it's it's adding up a lot of threads. Like I really really think, although we're getting more of a movie of the week style for this season, I really think it's 
it's threading a lot of really interesting ideas together so that we're going to get a really impactful last half of the season. This is our halfway point and it's built yeah. a lot. It's, it's built a really solid foundation of how things can go wrong or intersect or come together and, and crash into opposition. And I think that this season has done that a lot better than last season did. Okay. Let's get into speculation. Uh, we're going to see Ahsoka next episode, right? It's, it's written by Diffoloni. I think it's directed by Diffoloni. Like we're going to get her finally. Right. I, 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 I think so. I don't, I really don't think Dave Filoni would have stepped in. And this is what we said last week too. We're like, if I, we, I think we can all pat ourselves on the back for that. Right. We were never going to see Ahsoka <laughs> yeah. introduced in the Carl Weathers episode. It was going to be Dave Filoni. And uh, if she's around, it's going to be next week or, and, and, and I could be wrong here, but just in case it turns out to be real, I could be really seem really smart. Ahsoka's not on the show. And they cast they cast her and let those things leak the same way they did uh, Mother with Alfred Hitchcock. And we're all thinking we're going to see Mother as this villain or Ahsoka here as this thing. But Ahsoka's gone. She's on her mission and it was a dead end. And he's going to be trapped there with Moff Gideon on his tail. I don't, I, I don't think you're right on this one, Brian. But I don't we'll, think we'll, I we'll... am either, but it's a possibility. <laughs> But it is interesting. This does bring something new to the dynamic. We knew that he was going to go to that planet to find Ahsoka. But now, after this episode, we know that unknowingly Mando is bringing the Imperials right to her. Right? Like, he now has a tracking beacon. Not only are they after the child, but maybe now that they see him meet up with Ahsoka, maybe she's going to become another... uh, you know, Wait, important uh, imperial target. She's got a lot of many chlorians in her blood. Uh, my guess is the meeting that they have, the the first meeting here is going to be it's going to be short short lived. <laughs> There's going to be some stormtroopers that show up. Maybe those uh, dark troopers or whatever. Uh, Brad, what do you think is going to happen? Um, I yeah, I don't. We talked about last week, you know, too about how yeah how Ahsoka you know probably has some insight or how would have some concern about any cloning technology being brought back from from the prequel era and so you know i i feel like that's that that will definitely have um you know some weight on her shoulders and whether or not if she's just chilling somewhere you know or i guess it depends on what ahsoka is up to when he when mando finds her um and whether or not you know there's this you know rejection of coming back you know and being caught up in all this again or um, whatnot, but I, I think it's it's interesting because uh, if you go back and watch all of the trailers, we haven't seen any more footage from the episodes coming the rest of this season. We have exhausted all the footage that was shown. Oh, yeah, really? all the footage that has been that was ever shown in trailers has been played in these first four episodes. So from here on out, we're completely in the dark with, with uh, as far as anything to expect. Okay, I only have one last question I, uh, that comes from this episode is why didn't if they were able to get that close to the child in this episode, why didn't they just take the child on Navarro? I don't think they realized like what happened was is probably they said, hey, look out for this ship. And if you see it, install a tracking device and let us know. I don't think that they knew that the child was there. 
until he reported to them, right? Because she asks at the end, like, was the asset with him? And and that's when the Mimbanese mechanic confirms that. Right. So like they don't even realize they don't even realize the child is there until after the child is gone. Yeah. Is there any other speculation of what could be coming for us in next episode or the the second half of the season? Well, I think as they're tying those threads together, I, I, right. I think that uh, I actually think that Captain Carson Teva is going to play a bigger role in this. If the Imperials show up at Corvus and Ahsoka's there. She's probably got some connection to people in the New Republic. And, you know, as he's talking about, hey, something big is brewing out here and people don't necessarily know it. We might not get it this episode, but I do think this season is going to result in a space battle. I think it's going to end up in a space battle where the New Republic and what's left of the Imperial forces and the Razor Crest and Ahsoka and whatever she's flying, whether it's in the Razor Crest or whatever, are going to end up in a big conflict in space. Um, because I think that they're threading all of those things together. I mean, I think that sounds right. So I think I, I think you you might have that dead on. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at slashhome.com. I'll link Brian's review of this episode uh, in the show notes if you want to see that or you want to read that. Uh, this podcast is published on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. If you want to send us uh, your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, if you have any insight, speculation that we did not touch upon, you can send that to Peter at SlashFilm.com. You know, tell us who was the second unit director of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want. They turn out to be a listener. Yeah. Uh, p- please rate and view this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.